Proverbs chapter 1. I invite you to turn in your Bibles as I read from God's holy word. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away. The life of its owners. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, come to us now by your spirit. Proclaim your word in truth and might and power. 
And in doing so, Lord, make us more like yourselves. Yourself. Make us not like the world. But Lord, may we listen to wisdom, to heed the cry, and to find beauty in it. And so make your word lovely to our hearts, we ask in your holy and precious name. Amen. As we come now to moving through an exegetical crusade through this glorious book of wisdom, we begin chapter 1. I've already covered some of the sections, some of the verses in the book of Proverbs, but now we move especially at least for a season through the first nine chapters. We will cover the entirety of the book of Proverbs, but it will take some time. We'll come back to it now and again, for our desire ought to be to hear the sermon that wisdom preaches, the counsel that the Father has, and to hear what God himself has for us. Two points that I want to make tonight in these opening verses of the book of Proverbs. The first comes to us, from verses 1 through 7, and that is, wisdom brings maturity. Wisdom brings maturity. And then secondly, verses 8 through 33, the calls of wickedness and wisdom. The calls of wickedness and wisdom. Let me begin by covering the first seven verses that wisdom brings Maturity. Now, Solomon, in his opening address, speaks of who the Proverbs are for. The book is written for everyone. It is written for those who are in their youth or immaturity. It is written for those who seek wisdom. It is written for those who, by nature, are made to mature. For those who lack wisdom. Look at verse 4. To the young man, to those who are simple, to those who seek counsel, to those even who have hearts that are teachable. The book of Proverbs is for those who endeavor to grow in maturity. And for this reason, it is filled not only with exhortations, but warnings. It is filled not only with the carrot, the bait, but also the stick and warnings. It is for the stupid. I don't mean that as a playground taunt, but we are all fools. Even now in our own backyard, we have 26 of these pullets, young chicks that will one day lay eggs, I hope. And they are stupid. As you watch them walking around, they not only scratch the food that they are to eat, but the manure, the hay. They pick at the walls of the brooder, and they're just walking around going, well, what is that? Examining the world around them. We don't start much better. (laughs) In fact, the Proverbs has some very unflattering things to say about us, not only in our youth, but there are many among us in the world today, who though they do not lack years, lack sense. They have no wisdom. 
And it is not only because they abandoned it when they were young, probably because they abandoned it when they were young, but also abandoned it even when it is in their faces. You can have advanced years and still be immature. And so wisdom is for those who lack that maturity that comes by the grace of God at his feet through his word. Because the Proverbs are not only for the simple, but the Proverbs do something. I've already said they warn, but they also encourage. They are the means by which God makes us more like himself. The Proverbs are given to us so that we might not only have righteousness, but how to apply that righteousness. Because doctrine and life, good doctrine and righteous living are connected. They cannot be separated. And in order to know how to lead lead or live a godly life, we must go to God for instruction. And there are only two ways to go. There is the way of life, or the way that leads to life, and the way that leads to death. Now this is, I guess... Though this is not strange to my way of thinking, it is strange to the way of many's thinking today in the culture in which we live. Absolute truth. For there are many ways, are they not? Your truth, my truth, whatever makes you feel good. And if it makes you feel good, it cannot possibly be wrong. And who are you to tell me? What is right and what is wrong? The problem is not only will lives run up against one another when one person wants to live one way and another person another, but primarily their ways run up against the law of God. And when they run up against the law of God, the law does not move. And it examines and reveals the unrighteousness of their lives and they see it as Paul says in Romans 1 and when they come to terms with or when they see the law of God uh, they must either submit to their desires under the truth of God's word or they will take the truth of God and submit that to their desires and one's in, one life ends up with blessing the other ends up in death and so the Proverbs reveal they say go this way Don't go that way. And so the question for us is, do you wish to grow? Do you wish to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men? Do you wish to have a life that is blessed? It is not merely filled with pleasure and satisfaction, but more important than that, the kind of pleasure and satisfaction that is eternal in its endurance. To go from this life to the next and to see that blessing comes only in one way. Now the way in which we will grow is to realize that there is one who is superior and he has much to teach us. And there is one who is inferior. You are that person and you have much to be taught. And so Proverbs is a manual for for success In a world over which Christ reigns, the world that God has made. Not a made-up world with made-up rules, but the one world as it is. And so do you wish to be wise or a fool? Do you wish to be of use to your neighbor? Or to be used by? Or to be a curse to your neighbor? Do you wish to be an instrument in the hands of wicked men to go along with the throng? Or to be an instrument that brings about the glory of God on earth? 
That is the question. That is why the Proverbs are given to us, so that we might grow in maturity. And this growth requires something, that we turn from that which is evil in the counsel of wicked men to that call that wisdom gives. And it leads me to my second point, the call of wickedness and wisdom. Now, there are two speakers here from this point on, at least in chapter 1. There is the father from verse 8 to 19, and then there is wisdom herself, you might say, in verses 20 through 33. And both of them are giving what might be called a sermon. And in verses 8 through 19, the father seeks to appeal to the heart of his son. And the same in verses 20 through 33. Now, the father's sermon is a bit more gentle, but wisdom's sermon is much more blunt. Now, the appeal of the father is made from a position of intimacy, of care, of tenderness, of love. This is what we call positive discipleship. It is like sitting down on the front porch in a couple of rocking chairs, and the father seeks to convey to the son what it will look like if you say yes to wickedness. And so in verses 8 through 19, the father plays out for the son the future. If you do this, then this is what will happen. He speaks and he confronts and he endeavors to warn against the siren song of the wicked. And so in verse 8, it begins, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Both parents are unified in their warning. And if you listen, you will be royalty. You will have might. You will be dressed in splendor. You will be a king. There are still kings that roam the earth. Those are the sons of righteousness. There are still queens that walk the world They are those ladies who adorn themselves with the word of God. Parents, you ought to raise your children to be kings and queens. Stewards, rulers, those who are willing and able to take dominion, to be fruitful and multiply, and that is what we are. We are royal priests. Now, in order to be a king, what does the Father say? If sinners, maybe it could say, When sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, he speaks of the invitation. In fact, this section is comprised of two main sections. If we take the Father's Sermon and verses 8 through 19, this section is comprised of two primary sections. The invitation in verses 11 through 12, and then the proposal, at least as it relates to the wickedness or the actions of wicked men. And then in verses 15 through 18, the father's reminder, his exhortation to not listen and why. Here is what the wicked have to say. Let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. What are they inviting him to do? Let us swallow them alive like the pit or sheol. And whole like those who go down. That's the invitation. Here is the proposal. In doing this, in lying in wait, 
in waiting to shed blood, we will take what does not belong to us. It is thievery. It is the acquiring of wealth unrighteously. In fact, the last three commandments of God's moral law of the Ten Commandments all have to do with theft. There is a righteous way of acquiring wealth, and there is a wicked way. They speak like, well, bureaucrats, (laughs) collectivists. In fact, the guard against this is what? Thou shalt not steal. And in God's law, he establishes the principle of individual ownership. You can't not only steal someone's wife, his children, his possessions. Those things belong to another. You must rely upon God for your own things and work in wisdom to attain those things. There is no shortcut that is righteous to getting that which you must work for righteously. And instead, the unrighteous endeavor to lay hold of wealth through violence. The reason why I say collectivists is because the offer to the young man is to have one thing in common. Cast in your lot among us, let us all have one purse. Now, how does that always go? The stronger hand has greater force on the purse. Now, this is why the wicked end up the way they do. And they say, come, these emissaries of the grave, verse 12. They will lead you, son, to death. They bring violence without warning. They have no regard for God's law. They break in and steal. He exposes what the wicked are about. It is a warning against easy money. And so these are sermons in particular for those who begin to and get turned on to the reality of wealth. When our children are young, they have very little concept of this. But as you get older, you begin to realize where things come from. And there are many who work, who study, who go to school for the sake of of easy money. I have never met a man or woman in my life that is worth their salt that got rich quick but did not strive for it, that did not gain resources simply by it falling into their lap but worked hard for it. And the father says, I know. I know what they're going to say to you. And I know what it sounds like. And I know it's temptation. Parents, we should be able to have these kinds of conversations with our children. It is not merely protecting them from the calls of the wicked. But when that call comes to know what to say and to not give in. In fact, in verse 15, this is what he says. Do not walk. Do not heed their instruction. Keep your foot from their path. It sounds like Psalm 1. More wisdom literature. For they run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. And they are such fools that they are more stupid than little birds. Right? What does a little bird do? If a little bird sees you setting up a net, guess what the bird will not do? 
fly into the net. And yet we see time and again in the history of men the trend towards what? Ill-gotten gain. I mean, there was a show on a music network, VH1, and that was the theme of every single episode. Where are they now? All these rock stars that were once famous, and they all fell into the same trap. Ill-gotten gain. And it destroyed their lives. Instead, he says what? Do not go that way. Do not go that way. For that way, that way of greedy gain, is not just that which takes something from others, but it takes away the life of those who are themselves thieves. Do not walk in that way. Now, what is that way? The way is a phrase that is often used in the book of Proverbs. Of this walkie and Silva, a wonderful commentary. They write, the figurative way evokes the notions of character and orientation of life, the social context with which one identifies. Conduct, that is, specific choices and behavior, and the inevitable consequences of that conduct. Put simply, way is a metaphor for the deed-destiny nexus upheld by God. You reap what you sow. If you sow wickedness, if you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. There is no moral neutrality in the world. There are but two paths you can walk. One is the way of wickedness, theft, violence. The other is the way of righteousness, of generosity, and blessing. In fact, one of the greatest blessings of getting something for yourself, having worked hard for it, is to share it with those whom you love. This is what hospitality is. And therefore, hospitality does not have to be much. It just has to be something of what you got. You can't be hospitable with someone else's stuff. <laughs> Although God does give us all things. But what does God command us to do with the gifts that God has given us? To pour out blessing upon the heads of others. This is the God-centered life. It is the neighbor-centered life. It is to love God and to love one's neighbor, to walk in the way of righteousness and to not give in to the invitations to come by those who are wicked. And then there is another song or sermon. It is the sermon of wisdom that we find beginning in verse 20. Now, here, the volume and the intensity, it's ratcheted up. The Father is saying the same thing that wisdom is saying, except wisdom at this point is shouting. Wisdom is not quiet. We look in verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside like a street preacher. In fact, this is one of the biblical proofs for the legitimacy and the usefulness of street preaching. There is a time and a place where you need to shout at people. Fathers, have you ever done that? Stop what you are doing. Son, 
Stop. There's a time and place for that. You need to stop. This is the way you ought to go. And then they start running into traffic and you go, son, don't go out there. No, you do what? You scream. Bloody murder. Such that others who hear might go, what's that guy got a problem with? What, my kid's in the street. Wisdom cries aloud. Kenneth Atkins says of Lady Wisdom, who is whom really? It is Christ. Lady Wisdom is no gentle persuader. She shouts, pleads, scolds, reasons, threatens, warns, and even laughs. Pulpit bashing like this. <laughs> Hellfire preaching if ever there were. All quite unladylike. And nowadays also quite unfashionable. Even frowned upon. Wisdom calls. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Wisdom is not elusive. Wisdom is not hidden. Wisdom does not run from you. Wisdom is initiatory in your getting it. It wants you to come to it, to hear it, to receive it. And the call always begins with what? How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn, turn. What is that word? What is the fancy theological word for turn? Repentant, repentance, repent. Repent at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Children, this is why your parents, when they confront your sin, are not content with, but, oh, but, what, but. Right? You know what I'm talking about? I think that's a direct quote from recent in my home. But, and this mouth, like, shut it, unless you're going to say this. I understand what you're saying. What I did was wrong. It was foolish. Forgive me. Show me how to do what is right. I'm like, well, now if they said that to me, I would think that would probably be even less genuine. Did you learn that from someone? Yeah, I learned it from the pastor. Well, good. But that's the goal. The goal is repentance. When wisdom says, do not do that, that is not what you are to do, those who are righteous will say, okay, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. But what does a fool do? I got this. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. And so, if the way of wisdom begins with repentance, because we all start off simple-minded, foolish, and stupid, then the fear of the Lord and the beginning of it and the entryway into it is always repentance. In fact, our own confession makes this very clear. That saving faith begins out of a sight of the misery and sorrow of our own sins. Oh, I cannot believe this is the kind of person that I am. What is wrong with me? Lord, show me how to walk. 
And so wisdom is not a tender caller, although she is at times. Here she is not. She is fierce. And she invites men to turn back. Now, within the structure of this section, there follows in response to the call to worship a refusal. Because I have called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one regarded Because you disdain all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, what is the result? I will laugh when you get the thing I told you you would get when you refuse to listen to me. Parents, have you ever had that experience? I'm not sure it's as cruel as it's often portrayed. (laughs) Lord, thank you in your mercy. For giving my child exactly what they asked for. It's humorous in a sense. And that the irony is rich and thick. In fact, this is the way in which God often judges men. He gives them exactly the thing they asked for. This is the book of Judges writ large. Israel whores after the idols of Philistia and what do they get? They get the Philistine nation and power over them. And they go after another nation's idols, and then they get that nation over them. And what happens? That nation rules them cruelly, as we see with Philistia and Samson narrative. They rule cruelly. And God uses Samson to mock them time and time and time again. In fact, Samson was not only strong, but he was a teller of many riddles. And he put them to open shame time and time and time again. What was God showing Philistia through Samson the judge? You are the fools. You cannot compete with my wisdom. What was he showing Philistia when Samson took a lion and ripped the lion in half with his bare hands? The lion was a symbol of what? The power of Philistia. And out of that torn lion... Later he comes along, and what's there in the stomach, the cavity of that lion? The covenant blessing that God promises to his people, honey. There's something wise about what we learn even in the book of Judges. Wisdom is saying, look, what are you doing? You fools. I told you this would happen, and now that it is happening, I will look upon you, and there is nothing left to do but to mock you for your folly. Because what is wisdom doing? She is talking about the end of a life that has rejected wisdom. And at the end of that life where there is no hope left... And you are judged because she's talking about judgment. And you stand before God having looked at all of those chances and all of the pleadings and all of the cries. And you say no. There's no hope. It's over. This is the sermon. The sermon is this. If you reject wisdom, you die and go to hell. That's it. It's simple. It's brutal. And the reason that it is brutal is because you and I each and every day often reject the path of wisdom. And we must repent as wisdom says. And for those who do repent, guess what wisdom says? Here, 
Take more. And take this when you go. Friday night when we were at the men's fellowship, Spencer Gregg was giving food away. We cooked so much food. Here, take these sliders. Take them home with you. Okay, I got enough. I got enough. Wisdom will pour herself out to you. And so, in verses 28 through 33, there is a reflection upon this sermon. See, have I not said it? They will one day call upon me. I will not answer. And even if they seek me diligently, it's too late. Because they hated knowledge. Do you know what the greatest element of suffering will be for those who burn in hell forever? Every moment they rejected as an offer to the gospel. And they will have to live with the knowledge that every time it was offered, they said, no, no, no. This is why children, sometimes your parents are tender. And this is why children, sometimes your parents are rough and loud. Because wisdom is loud. Because wisdom knows what's at the end for every person. For those who embrace righteousness, there is life. For those who embrace folly, there is but death. And many Christians sit back today and they watch the world and they go, well, I sure hope they figure it out. How will they know, Paul says, if they have not heard? How many ministers are confronting the folly of our age? I see a lot of pastors unwilling to confront the folly of our age. Why? Because they don't believe Proverbs 1. They think there's some third rail, third way. There's some other way. They're functionally Unitarian in the way in which they proclaim the gospel. Parent their children, seek to convict and call the world to repentance. It's because they have allies and friends in the world. Judgment is inevitable. Now when I say that, I mean all judgment. And judgment for every man, woman, and child. We see this in the book of Revelation, the three books. The book of the law, God's word. The book of those deeds that all men have done, good or evil, and the Lamb's book of life. Those who embrace wisdom, Christ being the personification of it itself, have embraced true life. And they will enter into glory. They will be judged innocent. Yes, even wise. Judgment is also inevitable for those who reject wisdom. And not only is it inevitable, it is eternal. And so wisdom sees not only the way, the next step, but the way, that the, the way wisdom knows the next step is because wisdom discerns the end of all things. At the very least, we know what's happening because we know what's coming. And Christ's kingdom will be established forever. And so here at the end, two ends. For the turning away of the simple will slay them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Where does the path of folly lead? It leads to destruction. Where does the path of wisdom lie or lead? It leads to safety. Dear saints, may we seek that path of safety. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we ask that we might be those.